Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. As we continue the series, The Bible Made Ridiculously Simple, today we're going to finish up talking about the life of Jesus. Now, throughout Christ's public ministry, he had many titles, but the primary title that people label Jesus with is Christos or Christ. So when other people were referring to the person that Jesus is, they refer to him as the Christ or the Messiah. For example, in Matthew 16, 13, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter responds by saying, you are the Christ or you are the Messiah. And Jesus responds to this confession by saying, yes, indeed, Peter, you are correct. And he then follows up on that statement by saying that this is the rock. Or in other words, the confession that Jesus is the Christ is the rock upon which the church of Jesus Christ would subsequently be built. So Christ is the number one title people use to refer to Jesus. But when referring to himself, Jesus preferred the title Son of Man. Now, in order to understand what that title means, we have to go back to Daniel chapter 7, specifically Daniel 7 verse 14. Daniel sees the one who he calls the Son of Man, and that individual descends from heaven and is a judge of the entire earth. So, what essentially Daniel saw was a divine authority. Therefore, when Jesus calls himself Son of Man, he is in essence saying, I am God who has been given dominion, glory, and who has an eternal kingdom that all people might serve me. Now, the next thing we'll talk about in Jesus Christ's life are the miracles that he performed. Now, miracles clearly are not exclusive to the public ministry of Jesus Christ. They're a Bible fact that occurs both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what happens in Jesus Christ's life is you now have a high concentration of miracles being done in a very short period of time. So Jesus Christ's public ministry was heavily characterized by miracles. So the first question we'll now ask is, what is a miracle? Well, in his book, When Skeptics Ask, Norman Geisler defines a miracle as the following. He writes, quote, A miracle is divine intervention into or interruption of the regular course of the world that produces a purposeful but unusual event that would not have otherwise occurred, end quote. So in plain English, what a miracle is is when a supernatural God intervenes and acts in our natural world to cause something to happen that's very unusual and very unique. Now, we live in a material world that is governed by natural laws. And natural laws are natural, but miracles are unnatural. The reason why is because a supernatural God acts in the natural world. The Bible never explains to us 
how miracles actually work. So the Bible never provides a precise scientific explanation as to how miracles actually happen in the material world, nor would we expect it to, because miracles do not follow natural rules, they follow supernatural ones. So when asking the question, how do miracles work, the Bible never tells us. We do not know how they actually play out in the material world. What we do know is the God who is the cause of the miracles. The natural laws that order our world, those natural laws do not preclude or they do not make impossible the fact that miracles can happen. What natural laws simply do is they describe what is normal. They describe in a vast majority of cases what happens and what we can expect to happen. So it never falls within the realm of natural laws to make impossible the possibility of miracles nor to diminish their credibility. To provide a simple example, we know that winning the lottery isn't something that's normal. When you look at the mathematical and statistical odds of winning the lottery, it's a very rare and highly unlikely event. But because odds dictate that the regular Joe Schmo isn't likely to win the lottery, this does not mean that winning the lottery is impossible, as evidenced by a history of lottery winners in the past. The point is that natural laws tell us what is normal and what is to be expected, and in a sense, we need natural laws in the universe to make miracles possible, because miracles by definition are things that are highly unlikely and do not follow the natural laws of the universe. Now, as I mentioned, during the public ministry of Jesus, his miracles were highly concentrated in the three years in which he went in and through the cities, towns, and villages of Judea. There are other areas in the Bible where miracles are also highly clustered. For example, when Moses served as the mediator to liberate God's people from Egyptian bondage. And what the Bible reveals is that miracles tend to be more concentrated when the task or the demands of the work at hand has much more at stake. Now, I'll describe and clarify what that means very briefly, but the one thing that I want to draw your attention to is that the word miracle actually doesn't appear in the Bible. We use the word miracle to describe what the Bible calls either one of three names, a sign, a wonder, or a power. A power simply means that the God behind the miracle has and possesses a power that transcends the natural world. A sign means the miracle is a sign from God, and a wonder simply means that the miracle inspires a sense of awe or a sense of wonder in the person who's actually an eyewitness of the miracle. Now, when we say that a miracle is a sign, if we were to take a step back and ask ourselves, if God wanted to reveal himself or God wanted to validate the fact that he was in fact God, what are the type of things that he would have to do in our material reality to validate his deity? Well, one of the things that he could do is he could show us a sign that demonstrates he has power 
over the natural world. For example, he has power over matter, like turning water into wine. That he has power or control over the laws of nature in that he doesn't have to follow the rules of the natural world, as in walking on water. He would also demonstrate his power over life itself by bringing those individuals who had already died back to life. And those three instances I mentioned, turning water into wine, walking on water, and raising people from the dead, those are three distinct miracles that Jesus did in fact perform in and through his public ministry. So all of those wondrous, powerful feats, they are all signs that the one to which the miracle is pointing to is the supernatural agent behind the miracle, God himself. And one of the reasons why the Bible refers to a miracle as a sign is because the miracles always had a purpose. God never performed a miracle for the sake of just doing a miracle. The sign always intensified the glorification of God, and the sign of the miracle also gave people evidence or proof for them to believe in God as God. So, if you were someone living in Judea in the first century, and you were to ask yourself a skeptical question by saying, is Jesus Christ really God? You could use your senses and see, he is the one who heals the sick, who gives sight to the blind, who walks on water, who turns water into wine, and raises people from the dead. Those are all signs that give people evidence that Jesus is God, and therefore in worshiping and having faith in Jesus, God receives all the glory. Now the final thing I'll say about miracles is that miracles are not magic. Miracles are a God-ordained supernatural intervention into our natural world. What magic is, is simply human manipulation that either uses normal natural forces or are derived from an evil, satanic, or demonic power. Magic is usually synonymous with the occult or demonic forces, and examples of magic would be witchcraft, fortune-telling, or communion with dead spirits, all of which are specifically prohibited in the Bible. Magic typically has an evil force behind it with an evil intent that seeks to draw attention to something other than God. Miracles have a good intent with a good God behind it, which always serves to magnify and glorify God. Magic is something that can be reproduced whereas miracles are things that cannot be reproduced. When we ask ourselves the question, what good are miracles? We see that miracles in the Bible are always witnessed by many, many people, and the miracles which they witnessed could never be reproduced by other entities. So, for example, in the book of Exodus, when Moses served as a mediator, all of Pharaoh's magic men could not reproduce the grand miracles that God ushered in. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, when the prophet Elijah went up against the false prophets of Baal and Asherah, they were unable to invoke Baal to bring down fire from heaven. Only Elijah was able to do that by the divine, miraculous intervention of God, 
who sent down fire from heaven. So when Jesus healed the sick and brought people back from the dead, that drew people to Jesus Christ's message, which was God's truth, which was coherent with the rest of the truth found in and throughout all of God's word from Genesis through Revelation. The next thing I'll talk about is the transfiguration of Jesus, which is detailed in Matthew 17 verses 1 to 8, Mark 9 verses 2 to 8, and Luke chapter 9 verses 28 to 36. Essentially what the transfiguration of Jesus was, it was an intrusion of glory into the material realm, where for a brief moment, Jesus's divine glory pierced through and was manifested in his human nature. And that piercing through was manifested by a bright divine light and Jesus's clothes even becoming a bright radiant white. Now what happens at Jesus's transfiguration is that Jesus converses with Moses and Elijah about his pending departure or about his pending crucifixion in Jerusalem. And what helps to explain why Moses and Elijah were with Jesus at the transfiguration is that Moses was the representative of the Mosaic law and Elijah was representative of the prophets. Because as I've mentioned before, all of the Old Testament as in the Mosaic law and every prophetic voice pointed forward to Jesus Christ. So in essence, at Christ's transfiguration, you have the law and the prophets pointing to Jesus, and what happens at the end of the transfiguration is that the heavens opened up. The Father spoke from heaven and said, This, Jesus, is my beloved Son, the one whom I chose. Now listen to him. So now you have three different signposts, the law, the prophets, and the Father, all pointing to Christ. The final thing that I'll mention about Jesus's life is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem in the days leading up to his crucifixion on the cross. And Jesus comes into the city on a colt to fulfill the prophecy that Zechariah made. And for scripture references, you can see Matthew chapter 21 verses 42. So Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem on a colt, and people threw their coats in the path of the colt because the throwing was a sign of honor. They also waved palm branches, which were a sign of victory, when they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the grand irony of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem is that although the people were celebrating the coming king, they were actually celebrating before his work on the cross was being completed. And there were many individuals in the city of Jerusalem who may have been welcoming Jesus into the city, but in the days to come, the city of Jerusalem and its inhabitants would actually end up crucifying Jesus and suggesting that Pilate release Barabbas, the murderer and the terrorist, to let him go so that Jesus could be crucified. Now there's much to say about Jesus's crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, so that will be the topic of our next episode, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.